When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, if you've been watching Stab's Electric Acid Surfboard Test Episode 2, you know the importance of having the right fins for your surfboard. And that is why we have Surf NVS as a longtime partner. Yeah, NVS fins are uh, a massive part of my quiver and you won't catch me packing a board without the fins. That's a, uh, that's a, <laughs> a big no, no. Mick, Mick uh, did not pack that bag. He said he left it to some of stabs team to do since they were wrangling the boards, but yeah, you would not, that would not be a wise move, but for all of your fin needs, surfnvs.com. Um, They've got everything and they're all available with either futures tabs or FCS tabs so that they'll fit into whatever Finbox system that your current surfboard quiver has. There's no kind of changing or anything. You don't have to do anything special. You could just grab the appropriate fins from Surf NVS. They have everything, twins, singles, um, thrusters, those C drives, they've got everything. Yeah, Leif and Jamin at NVS, um super solid guys and totally into it, you know, like um, stoked, geeked out fin guys like us, you know, that just that we know that the fins are um, a big part of the engine of the surfboard. And uh, you can't overstate that. I mean, fins are crucial. And totally. yeah, so I'm a big fan of what they do over there. And you know, what's interesting is those guys, um, they purchased tickets to the dinner for the Timmy Patterson VIP dinner. So um, if you buy a ticket to the VIP dinner with Timmy Patterson, uh, Friday night of the boardroom, you'll get to sit with those guys. And those guys are a wealth of knowledge regarding fins. Excellent. Um, I did not know that. I'm glad to hear that. And the fins, surfnvs.com is their website, but they're also available through our kind of retail partner of the show, which is um, realwatersports.com. Real Water Sports has been with us for a year. Trip came out last year to the boardroom show with Jeffrey O'Neill to film it and uh, helped with the judging of the icons of foam. So we kind of hit it off there and he's been supporting our podcast work ever since and also supporting a lot of the surfboard shapers that we interview on our podcasts by supplying their boards in North Carolina through their retail store, but then shipping them around the world. So they're doing great work at realwatersports.com. Yeah, big shout out. I love those guys. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Well, let me just say this, that Trip was a retailer who stepped up and said, and said, not only do I want to support the boardroom show, I'm going to show up with Jeffrey and film it and be a judge and be involved. And it was so exciting to have a retailer be so stoked on surfboards because Trip's just one of us. He's a full-on surfboard geek. Totally. And then to produce the video, to have kind of uh, for posterity after the fact too, is a big, big thing. So 
Huge thanks to realwatersports.com. Consider them for any of your surfboard purchases in the future. They'll ship it to you anywhere in the world. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. Holy mackerel, yeah, guy. It is, um, it's a yeah, guy kind of a Wednesday. It's September 14th. And uh, David Lee Scale, Scott Bass here with you talking all things surf on the Spit Podcast. Good morning, David. Yes, good morning. What qualifies it for a yeah, guy kind of a Wednesday? What criteria uh, has to be met? That's kind of code for I'm super busy and um, in a good way, excited way. Um, I'm actually going to be filming today um, in a studio video shoot, and I've never done it before, and I don't know what I'm doing. And, I'm, and it's, so it's like one of these things where it's like, okay, I paid all this money for a studio. I'm going to shoot some surfboards to market the uh, auction. And it could either go really bad, <laughs> which is more than likely, or, you know, it could go pretty good. But, uh, you know, as you know, David, lighting is a massive issue with shooting surfboards, right? And so, uh, you know, I'm just worried about hot spots on the boards because they're all going to be glossy and beautiful, you know, and those are hard to light. And so, and then there's going to be me with my little gimbal and my iPhone and just stepping around. And I don't even like have a shot list. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just going to turn it on and go like this, you know, like, so I'm well, kind of, uh, I have a little anxiety. Maybe you can guide me along here. Well, I'm, did you hire a photographer or you just rented studio space and you're yeah. shooting the photos yourself? I'm, I'm, I'm shooting it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought you meant like you hired a crew and you're just like no, it's me. bringing the boards. Oh me yeah. I got no advice, dude. Oh, really? Thanks for your, I sense that you have uh, no faith in me as well. <laughs> I, well, I would not want to be in your shoes is all that. I'm not saying it's to do with you. I'm saying there are professionals who do this, yes. um, but You're looking at them. Okay. I do have advice. Yeah. Is your um, camera setup sophisticated enough to where when you shoot the photo, it shows up on your computer. Do you have it plugged into your, your computer? Hell to the no. Okay. Because that's the real world test. I mean, you shoot the photo, go look on the computer, see how the final product looks rather than shooting photos for two hours, then going and looking at the computer and being like, oh, I should have done this differently. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I have, it's going to be shot on my iPhone. Oh. So I can just look at it on my iPhone. I guess so. I had a professional photographer, well known in the surf space, I'm not going to say his name, who said that. The iPhone shoots the same, if not better quality than some of the most expensive high-end big time Hollywood studio cameras. That's wild. You find that hard to believe? I mean, why would Yeah, I not, do. This guy's like totally legit. Yeah, I believe. I mean, maybe I it's because it it's for the it's for the internet. You know, it's not for a yeah, like, yeah, large yeah. a large Yeah, there's there's gotta be qualifiers in that statement for yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe there are. The lens isn't as big, uh, but he's, yeah, but he was file. basically saying, you know, for what you're doing, which is yes, for what you're doing, building internet content, you don't need to go overboard and yeah. you know, there's no need for a friggin' 
$80,000, you know, red camera or whatever. I agree with that for sure. And I think a lot of people who are going to be viewing that auction might be doing it from their phone anyways. Yeah. So, so okay. We'll, well, hey, faith restored. Hey, thanks for like your advice. You're, you're all good. Thanks for your... <laughs> I'm going to be calling you later, you know. Dude, what do I do? I'm busy today. I feel like Don't you call. know more about shooting video than I do for some reason. I, you know, I certainly had spent time doing it in the past. Um, a bit of video production in my background, but everything's changed. And I was never that sophisticated at it, you know? Yeah. I knew how to point and shoot, but I was never that. That was not my medium. Podcasting, yeah. as it turns out, is more comfortable for me. Talking is more comfortable for me. Yeah. Well, you're good at that. I mean, you've put out some great podcasts lately. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, um, I think what I'm going to do just real, to finish this off is I'm going to go online and just do a Google search for like, you know, tips on how to do a solid video shoot. And studio lighting would be the tutorial that you want to see. That like product, that's product, where it gets expensive. Product shooting, how to light products for product shooting, maybe. You know? I'm hoping um, the studio helps me out. Yeah, that guides me along. But so, anyway, I think well, well, not one one final detail, and I know it's too late to implement this, but I think <laughs> that the the best lighting for surf for shooting surfboards is in a shaping bay. When I see shaping bay photos, you see all of the contours, and obviously it's raw foam; it's not, yeah, you know, laminated high gloss polish or anything. Yeah. But maybe sometimes it even is. And I think that lighting might actually, and it's the real world environment. So it would be a cool concept for the auction shoot to shoot them all in a shaping bit. Next time. Next time. So what auction are you talking about? California Gold Surf Auction comes up uh, October 1st. That's when bidding begins. And the lots will begin closing at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on October 15th, Saturday, October 15th. And uh, so you got two weeks to uh, place your bids. And of course, the, the complete catalog will be available um, pretty soon here, probably in about a week. Some people will be able to preview it. And um, it's all going to be, everyone's going to get hot and bothered because we've got 60 plus lots of insane, super high quality California gold uh, collectible surfboards. There's some super sick stuff, including it. We've got a great Bob Simmons and probably the nicest Bob Simmons I've, I've ever put in the auction as far as, um, you know, the shape, the condition it's in, right. It's a, just a beautiful Bob Simmons. And we got a couple of beautiful, we got a lot of wood. We've got some insane brewers, some insane Diffendurfers, um, some insane Yaters, um, some mind blowing, just gorgeous woodwork you know, like just crazy craftsmanship. And we got a host of really nice lightning bolts and uh, all sorts of cool stuff. I've got a letter from Duke Kahanamoku that he wrote to his wife, Nadine, in 1958. Um, you know, so we've got some, I've got a Duke Kahanamoku uh, championship winner's trophy, the Ricky Grigg 1966 winner's trophy. Amazing. Um, so there's some cool stuff sprinkled throughout and there's something for everybody. It's not just the high end boards. We do have like world-class high impact currents that are going to go for a pretty penny, but we also have stuff for your average guy like you and me that might have, you know, a little bit of money to uh, invest in a surfboard, something that maybe grabs your heart. And um, so we got something for everybody. Do you intentionally schedule it so close to the boardroom show? 
yeah, because the boards, many of the boards will be on display at the boardroom show. So I like to do that. You know, like we'll pull out, you know, 10 of the nicest boards and put those on display. So it's kind of cool eye candy for people that are visiting the show. It's, it's a really cool exhibit, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. But it's two big things, two big projects stacked on top of one another. Yeah, that's why we're, that's why it's a um, Yeah Guy Wednesday. Yeah, guy. I thought it was yeah, guy. Wednesday because the weather has finally cooled down a little bit. Yeah, you know what? Good point. Yeah, I yeah, didn't guy. notice that. This, yeah, guy. You know what? It's cooler. Yeah, cool. It's um absolutely a relief. It's for listeners who aren't in Southern California. We've been in the nineties for weeks on end, and cut into a hundred a couple of days. Uh, so it's been inescapable, except in the water. There's been a little bit of, there's been swell and the water's been warmer than it normally is. So it's been nice. Yeah. Those, I have, I think I've surfed. I want to say I've surfed like 10 or 12 days in a row, even though. It's How's been, your body feeling? I'm feeling okay. Actually. Good. I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm moving towards, you know, how we kind of go through these, um, you know, waves of sourdough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a place now where I'm trying to get fit. So I'm feeling pretty good. I've been working out a little bit. What kind of workout? Just a home thing. Just, you know, doing, doing core stuff and cool. surfing, surfing a ton and just mixing up my, my workout, my core workout, you know, changing it up. Good. I'm trying well, to eat better. AG1. There you go. AG1. Athleticgreens.com slash surf specifically. Um, So following last week's conversation, you and I recorded a podcast just before finals day took place. Do you have, um, what's, what did the swell do? They ran on day one of the waiting period, I believe it was. And we were worried about the wind on the following day, the Friday, and then this, well, you were anticipating it being the best on Saturday. So what ended up happening? Well, I, I think um, Friday and Saturday were both super good days as far as conditions. Um, you know, but you got to understand, like it's, it, it's a, it was a very hard call to make i think like they easily could have said nope let's wait we're not going to hold it on thursday which is the day they did hold it on let's just say they said we're not going to do that they could have held it on friday or saturday and gotten skunked as far as the wind the surf was going to be um but ended up friday was pretty all time it was offshore most all of the day straight offshore and the same same type of swell energy that we saw on thursday maybe a little better and then Saturday was kind of similar with some of that more of that tropical system moving in. But uh, it was, you know, it, it's a hard call to make. Like we easily could have sat, we could be sitting here and going, they blew it. They should have ran it on Thursday. And, you know, because the winds were, were weird. And I just think winds are way more difficult to predict. And then swell, obviously, you know, the swell trains in the water, the winds are like, hmm, well, it says it's going to be offshore, but it could go southerly or what, you know. So did they uh, make the right call by running on Thursday? No. In, in hindsight, um, the surf was shitty for the finals, I thought. And yeah. um, it was much better on either uh, Friday or Saturday. And, and uh, you know, I yeah, think it's... I'm more disappointed in them having it at lowers, you know. I, even course. if it's good lowers, it, to me, it's, it doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't. I, there's a common thought that they've always applied, which was, which is, you can't walk away from good surf. You yeah. can't walk away from contestable surf. And so, in the morning, it really did look decent and con- very contestable, but it wasn't good, you know. And so the gamble was: do we walk away from totally contestable? The money's on the table and try to gamble and earn more, a little bit more tomorrow. And so they obviously made the decision to run on Thursday, but with the benefit of hindsight, we can be a little bit more critical about the decision. I did get an uh, email from one of our longtime listeners who goes by JJ. And he said, if the waves are the stars, then the finals were Scott Bayo. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty I mean, good. it's, a, it's a perfect subtle, quasi celebrity to pick he couldn't have named any other celebrity that would have suited that analogy better yeah, scott exactly. yes it would be like it. the w wsl's like hey we're gonna have a celebrity come to our dinner tomorrow night and then bayo shows up here's another little psychological um pressure that's put on that i don't tell me what you think about this maybe this is uh false but they were pretty hot and bothered. When I talked to Elo, he was like, hey, and the other cool thing we do is this, we put on a yellow alert. So everyone will know that we're on standby and it looks like we're a go for the next day. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense on its face, face value. But when Jesse Miley Dyer, the commissioner, or I don't even know if she, if she's the commissioner anymore. I think they call her like the director of surf or something. But anyway, I- I thought it was head of tours and competition. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I was surprised when I thought she was the commissioner, but whatever. Maybe that's too heady of a title. I don't know. But when you put that yellow alert on the next day, there's almost a subconscious or maybe it's a conscious pressure that's put on her to be like, well, we told everyone we're running it today. And of course, it's not said, but there is this sense that Everyone took off work, you know, people are you yeah. know, maybe taking off school and it's contestable. Whereas if there was no yellow alert, if it's just like, you know what, see you here at seven, we'll make the call then. Would things have been different? And again, I no. think that's an unspoken pressure that's not, like I said, discussed or spoken. But uh, I wonder if you think that that plays into it at all. Uh, I see what you're saying, but I don't think it does. They still have the reason it's yellow and not green the day before is they still have the ability to turn red after the yellow. You know what I mean? So I like the concept of the yellow. I think it's a move in the right direction. I think it, it does have some, um, maybe what you're talking about, but it's way better than not having any indicator for the public at all. Yeah. Okay. So I, you're, I think. You're... You're pro warning, I'm pro, warning system. I'm, I'm pro yellow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about finals day a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about the electric acid surfboard test as well, which we yeah. touched on last week, yeah. but, and there's a new episode of it, episode yeah. two, but we got it, definitely got to do finals day. Um, interesting from a lot of different reasons in terms of the waves, they were much more contestable earlier in the day, the wind played a factor later in the day, um, caused more havoc for Carissa Moore than it did for Idolo Ferrer, let's say. But uh, 
things happened this year that didn't happen last year. So last year, leading into finals day, we had criticisms about the format and the way that it worked, but all of those were negated because they got pumping swell and the yellow jerseys won on the men's side and the women's side. This year, very, so those criticisms after finals day, we almost just like tucked them away and we're like, oh, well, I guess we got it wrong. Everything worked out the way that, you know, the WSL hoped that it would with this new design. Going into this year, we really didn't uh, level any of those criticisms because they were negated last year. However, last year's criticisms came to fruition. So we had a scenario where the number five surfer on both the men and the women's side charged through the field and found themselves in the final matchup against the number one surfer. On the women's side, this number five, Stephanie Gilmore, beat the number one, Carissa uh, Moore. I think Elo was men's... four. Oh, that's Can right. Canaro okay. was five. Okay, good point. But he started from the first match, I suppose. Yeah. But you're right. He was fourth. Um, so what ends up happening in the math when you go to the WSL's website and look at it right now today, it shows you the year-end rankings after Tahiti. And it's... Stephanie Gilmore with like 43,000 points or whatever, and Carissa Moore with 55,000 points. But Stephanie Gilmore's in first, Carissa Moore's in second. So a normal event throughout the season is worth 10,000 points. If you win it, you get 10,000. That means Stephanie Gilmore was an entire more than an entire event behind Carissa. And I know the finals day format, points are out the window. It stands alone. It's totally different but it undermines the concept of the rest of the year and the tedious math that we're doing for the rest of the year if that all goes out the window and you can see something like this happen. It's bad optics. Yeah, yeah look, I don't think that there's... Um, if you're suggesting that we do away with finals day, which I don't think you are, um, I, I would say you're wrong. We don't, I think finals day is a smart thing to do. I think it's good to have one day where we, where we crown the champions. Cause it, as you know, it leaves us, it, it, it takes away the possibility of us sitting in Brazil and going, Oh, we don't even need to really do the rest of the tour because Felipe is our guy. Yeah. Now some friends of mine, and I'm sure there's plenty of armchair quarterbacks online that have tweaked with the system a little bit. And one of the tweaks that I heard, from a group that I'm in a text thread with was uh, two out of three is fine for Steph and, and Carissa, but Carissa only needs to win one heat and Steph has to win two out of three or, or two in a row. All Carissa has to do is win one heat. So the pressure's on number two to win back-to-back -back heats. That's interesting. Yeah. And that well, gives a little bit more power to, that being said, and you could even tweak it more and say, look, if the number one surfer is an entire event of points ahead of the person she's surfing against in that final round, then that would be in play. She only has to win one. If they're closer, yeah. then, okay, then we make it two out of three. But if, if you know, yeah. What about this? Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but um, what, about, what if the finals day is not mandated five people? Instead, it's whoever's mathematically in contention for a title. Yeah. So that's, there that's could, fine. there could be seven people that get into finals day. There could be two. Um, and then I, when I thought about that concept, I was thinking, 
that would be interesting to implement as the season dwindles, actually. So when we're going towards yeah. Tahiti, if you don't have a contention, if you don't have a mathematical chance at winning the title, yeah, you're not allowed to come to Tahiti. And so the tour kind of slowly comes to its own natural pointiness throughout yeah. the year. That would yeah. make a ton of sense. And then there's no need for the mid-year cut. It's each individual event kind of creates its own calling. You know, they do that. The PGA Tour does that. Um, oh, okay. they, they, they call they call the uh, competitors. They have their FedEx Cup, which is like the, um, the last four events of our season. And after each event, it gets smaller and smaller so that at the end of the event, there's only, you know, X number of golfers. Same thing. And it, I think it's a good, I think it's something they need to throw on the whiteboard. And believe me, those guys, Dave, Prodan, and, and Jesse and everybody over there, they are throwing things on the whiteboard and going, what, what's the best way to continuously improve this product? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't disagree that they're doing that, but what is at the top of their pyramid of the goal that they're trying to hit yeah. is a little bit, is a little bit uh, unclear to me, you know, cause it's not think- the, the top of that isn't the best way let's put the best surfers in the best waves in the world to find out who the true world champ is. That's not at the top of the list. It's, we well, have it's, it's these government contracts that we want to service right, exactly. and where are we going to exactly. get the sponsors? Okay. Well, Australia is going to give us money. Okay. Let's do three events in there. And then, you know, and, but let's I, make I, sure I, we do it in Margaret river. Cause Western Oz put steps up, but even if those aren't the best waves in the world, you know, here's my gut feeling. And, and I don't think anyone over there would say this, but I sense that, what they're trying to get to is build the sport, the number of followers, the viewers, build the sport to a place eventually where they can turn on a paywall. And in my conversation with, and again, this is me, Eric didn't say this, but this is me making some assumptions here. But in my conversation with him, his feeling is we haven't even touched the number of of viewers and fans that we can get to why turn on a paywall now let's get to you know 5x of where we are now and then turn on the paywall if in fact that's the strategy and so you know having the final event in north america at a premier red hot surf spot the best high performance surf spot perhaps where you can get a permit at least in north america having all of the media having the perfect time frame, you know, the, the time zone, um, potentially getting, you know, maybe we get on ESPN sports center, you know, like there's a lot of that. That's, that's, that's kind of building up to, okay, now it's time to, you know, they'll never, I, they'll I know never. you're not going to agree with this, but I'm just telling you, well, that's the vibe I'm getting. That's, and I, I don't agree with it either. I mean, as an end, user you and i are like uh throw them at eight foot chopu you'll watch viewership go through the roof that's exactly it they'll never get to that 5x multiple by doing you know these uh half efforts along the way they'll just see incremental growth or not by the way because i watch as much as you and i discuss it i watch less professional competitive surfing now than i have ever you know since the since the the demographic though i mean I care as much now as I ever did before. It's just the, you know, I'm not going to watch Newcastle after <laughs> Newcastle. Rottenness after Newcastle, after whatever it was last year. It's just, and then Portugal this year, 
all of that I had no interest in. So once J Bay turns on, boom, I'm back in. That's the only difference. Yeah. Well, let me ask you um, this. Let me ask, yeah. let me play devil's advocate and say this that, and I don't even know, nobody knows what the, what the numbers are, what the spreadsheet looks like. But if I said to you, look, David, we're stoked you're watching J Bay. We understand you don't want to watch Portugal. But without the money from Portugal and without the money from West Oz, without the sponsor dollars that we're getting from those municipalities or nation states or whatever they are, these city government, these government, these government dollars, we can't do JBay, and we can't do potentially G Land or whatever. You know, do you understand? Like, are you okay with that, or would you just have us scrap the whole thing? I would say that is a failure of the design of the business. So you need to completely reconfigure the business. And again, put your goals in a priority list and the goal should be JBay right there. And so how do we do that? And how you get to that goal is maybe a paywall situation. And maybe you don't hit 5X, but the paywall, you know, the dollar amount for the current amount of viewership has to then justify the expense of running at JBay. I'm not like, sure that a pro tour pencils out without. Yeah, maybe it doesn't. Well, it clearly does because, because, because they've never made money before. Right. And when you think about the way it used to be when Rip Curl and Billabong and, all, and uh, Quicksilver were running the events, they were obviously, as you and I've mentioned a million times, they were writing it off as a marketing expense. So they're like, yeah, we're not making money on it, but we're putting, you know, 90 70% of our marketing budget towards it. And it's an insane marketing. We can write the whole thing off. It's awesome. And somewhere in between there, in between it being a business that pencils out and it being a marketing expense for these brands is reality. And I'm not sure that there's any, I don't think they co-mingle. I don't think there's any synergy. It's either one or the other. We lose money or it's a marketing expense. Yeah, well, clearly, um the current method isn't working either in terms of penciling out. And so I wouldn't try to make an incremental difference to get out of a $20 million a year deficit so that maybe you get to 19.5 deficit next year. I think a radical change is the consideration uh, because you they've been at me this so much of Doug Palladini. It's unbelievable. You're well, just I mean, it's not beat the not... horse until they call you and go, David, you've got the job. <laughs> I mean, am I crazy? No, it's not no, my money, not. so I don't no. care. But I'm just no, no, saying, like, how many years have you tried to do this over and over with just these incremental shifts? And then, by the way, backpedaling on what the shift was last year and going back to a fresh start again, trying something little incrementally, like, an, again, a half effort at something that didn't work. OK, let's go back to the very beginning and do a half effort over here. No, like clearly. And when when we're well, the ones who know we're the ones who have been following and I mean, honestly, all but invested in uh, this thing for 20 plus years, we know where the sweet spots of it are. And we sit here keep and we just keep saying it over and over again. It's the waves. It's the, it's the only thing that matters. It is what makes surfing unique. There's no reason to have Chris Cote up there like Bruce Buffer trying to get these two people to face off who won't even look at him, you know, where they're, where they won't look at their competitor, you know, where they're looking out at the ocean because the waves are all that matters. And so all of that kind of pomp and circumstance and pretending to be an, a different sport that you're only ever going to be lesser than because you're trying to pretend to be it is pointless. 
What is unique to surfing? Man and woman versus nature. Focus on that. That's all that matters. And everything else will then be a lot easier to figure out. And actually, a lot of it will solve for itself. And that is the essence of surfing that can never be overlooked. Well, what, what, and, and, and you're right. And the disruption does need to occur, I think. And, you know, like if you and I were in the room and they were going, well, what do you guys think? You know, you and I would say, or at least I know I would say, get rid of the longboard tour, get rid of everything, but the women's and men's championship tour, you know, who's going to feed into that? The ISA, let the ISA feed you surfers. Why do we have two different competing, like lower tier competitions formats? The ISA, they've got 170 nation states. Let them feed you pros, you know? Entirely. And and you don't, Um, you've you've just like taken so much off of the spreadsheets as far as cost, I'm assuming, Uh, you know? And then of course, Waves of the Stars, less events, uh, way more, um, you know, infrastructure on site. You know, we don't need 30,000, like 100,000 people in Brazil is great. And I know that the sponsors love that probably, like that rah-rah thing, but I'm not sure that's, that's where we're at. Well, this would indicate, considering that we're 20 minutes in and we haven't discussed the surfing of finals day, this would indicate that we did not think that finals day was a success, I presume? I, I wasn't, you know, look, the waves are shitty. The waves are shitty. It's not a success. The waves are the stars. The end of the yeah. day, the waves are the stars. I'd much rather watch Clay Marzo in eight to 10 foot G land, not in a Jersey than, and, and again, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm, no, it isn't. Know, I want to um, see comp- competition, but it's got to be in the so right setting. Two things that were highlights for me in this event. Uh, Felipe Toledo's surfing in his two heats against Idolo. I think he um, surfed to his fullest potential. He surfed to the ability level that we know him to surf to. The crazy thing is, kind of to your point, I can't remember exactly any of the waves, you know? Like there's waves that stand out in our memories. Um, John John's waves at Margaret River, Kelly's waves at Pipe, uh, Felipe's wave at Jay Bay, things like that. Nothing like that happened in this event. So, but seeing um, Idolo make his run through from the first match and then coming up against Felipe, it was kind of rad to see Felipe have blinders on as if he didn't even care what Felipe was or what Idolo was doing or what his momentum was. Felipe's just like, I surf this wave. I surf nines out here every single time I get a ride. And so I'm just going to do what I do. And he just blitzed it. You know, it's like his title was in his grasp and he wasn't going to let it go. And, and he does surf lowers better than I've ever seen anybody surf lowers. And so seeing him execute in that moment, I thought was awesome. The other, and his surfing ability, I mean, is just unbelievable. Like still blows my mind. Anyways, the other rad thing was Stephanie Gilmore. So interestingly, while Idolo was making the charge on the women's side, I kind of didn't want him to win. And I don't think he deserved the title this year. And I wanted him to get beaten by Ethan. Then I wanted him to get beaten by Jack. And I was rooting against him kind of. But on the women's side, Stephanie I was rooting for her to trounce everybody, including Carissa, even though I love Carissa. And um, there was a moment, it was easy to rally behind because there was a moment in that first heat against uh, Brisa Hennessy where Brisa made a failure 
of priority. She made a mistake with priority with two minutes left. Steph's back was against the wall and Steph got a wave, a scorable wave that she needed and she opened up on it and she got the score and it was like that one moment. And she even said it in her post-heat interview. She said, you know, I was sitting back out there feeling the pressure and I realized what had happened to me last year in the first heat of the day, in this finals day scenario, I buckled and I was not going to let that happen again. And I got the opportunity and it was just like Steph kicked in. Steph of old kicked in. And then every wave that she surfed after that, she was on fire. You know, she looked like she could not fail or could not fall. And all of the competitors on the women's side, no. Steph in a right groomed right-hander, she stands alone. And so Steph just did her thing and she stood alone through the day and ended up winning her eighth world title as a result. So I thought that was super exciting. Okay, a couple couple questions, couple things for you here. What are the chances that the reason Kelly Slater wins 12 is because of the pressure that a woman puts on him, not a man? In other Very words, good. how scary would it be for Kelly? And his legacy, probably not very much, but if Steph got to 12, could Steph get to 12? Could Steph put the pressure on Kelly Slater? Oh my God. You know what? I'm not the goat of goats. That would be insane. That would be crazy, but I don't know if Steph's I don't see it in her. I don't either. Well, even Plus if the, she the has girls it in her, coming up are going to be. That's insane. it. That's it. Yeah. We think. We keep saying that. We said that last year. We're like, oh, this year the girls are going to be insane. And None of them showed up. <laughs> well, but, we didn't, we didn't. Yeah, I guess you're right. We did mention Betty Lou Sakura Johnson specifically. Um, there were, yeah, there, I was, I was thinking last year we were more focused on the Aaron Brooks and the Katie Simmers who have, haven't actually joined the tour yet, but you're right. We did mention the rookie crop and yeah, they did not. And here's the execute. other thing about the other champion, Felipe, right? Like you're absolutely right. The guy, first of all, he deserves to be the world champion. Let's just say that outright. He, he did what was needed to be done. And uh, at the end of the day, he's our world champion. And, and he's, he's technically the greatest surfer in the world right now. Uh, and of course, there's this thought that, oh, yeah, but he didn't charge Chopu or he's not a big pipeline surfer. And, uh, I don't think that matters at this point. I mean, it matters to you and I. I mean, that's, you know, but it, he's deserving of a world title, even though it, it's kind of hard for me to say. <laughs> but we love the guy. He's, in, I mean, what he did, what you've mentioned already at Jay Bay, the stuff he does at Lowers, the stuff he does everywhere, except uh, a couple of spots are next level. Um, but, you know, there's that but, you know. Um, well, the fact that you even said he is deserving and then spent 30 seconds explaining <laughs> why he's deserving yeah. says it all. And yeah. you're right. He deserves the world title. He is a world champ. He'll always be known as that. But it's in the same way that we talk about Damian Hardman, where it's like, yeah, world champ, because he's a great tactician. There's always that comes with it as opposed. So like in the pantheon of world champs, there's all these names you think of Damian Hardman somewhere. And then I mentioned Andy Irons and you just go, boom, Andy, like, God, he had it all. And he was exciting. And he was like, and I hated him and I loved him. And there's all this emotion that comes with it. That might be Felipe's role in the legacy. Unless, I mean, he could have chapter two, chapter three, where he reworks that. And then that becomes a really great storyline, you know, but currently Felipe is known as the world's greatest small wave surfer who won a world title. 
Yeah. And, I, you know, there's been an argument out there that, hey, you know what? He had the yellow jersey going into finals day. He didn't even need to surf Choco, and he would have been the number one surfer in the world. Um, and so, look, people in his camp perhaps were saying, you know what? Don't even – why hurt yourself? The possibility of getting hurt at Choco is real. And in the NFL, if it's week 17 and you're already the number one seed, guess what? They sit their starter, their starting quarterback and a lot of their starting players. They just sit them and they go, oh, we'll lose this one. It doesn't matter because we're the number one seed, which is the case with Felipe, right? People could be saying, don't even worry about it. In fact, I think Kelly might have mentioned it in more or less words. Um, you know, like you don't even need to do this thing. But well, my question to you is, would Andy Irons have said, yeah, I'm not going to do Chopu because I'm the number one seed? No. Exactly. He would have been like, I've been waiting. Chopu is the event that I've been waiting for this whole year. I'm going. Whether you're having an event, even if you call off the event, I'm still <laughs> going because the swell's on the charts, you know? Yeah. But I actually, it would have been a baller move if Felipe owned up to all of that and said exactly that and said, hey, guys, I am afraid. <laughs> and I don't need, and I don't need to go there. So guess what? I'm sitting out, nana, nana, doo, doo, nothing you can do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, ha, ha, ha. Like that is in the way that the Kardashians made their appearance on TV 15 years ago. And we all pointed and we're like, what are they? Why are their lips so big? Then they showed up season two with bigger lips. Then they showed up season three with bigger butts and they just kept cashing checks until now big butts and big lips are pervasive in our culture. You know what I mean? Like they just, they just owned it. They are what they are. They owned it. And so for Felipe, it would have been incredible if he goes, I am the world's best small wave surfer. And I'm going to take all of you guys to task at all those events around the world. And the two or three big wave spots that we have, screw it. I don't need them. And in fact, I'm not even going. See you guys on finals day. Catch me there. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah. But instead he plays this, he has a he has a literal lion tattooed on his chest and he takes to Instagram after the event and is like claiming like he got un he actually said I got underscored on like two rides that I got I should have got scored higher. It's like no, bro. Like it it's very inauthentic. Well, it was Take the Kardashians <laughs> path. That's what I say. <laughs> For the record, I've never watched the Kardashians and I never will. I Nor have like, I, but, and that was Travis a stretch Shamak. of an analogy, but. Good one. Travis Shamakri, the whole thing. Anyway, um, let's, let me take a quick break and then we'll talk about the electric acid surfboard test. Let's do it. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The electric acid surfboard test. Oh, my. Oh, East. my. Um, last week you had not yet watched C's, uh, episode one. Are you caught up? There's now two episodes. Yeah. yeah, I am. What are your thoughts? I'm digging it. And it's just kind of what we talked about last time, which is the good stuff is the, um, is the interaction between the shapers. At least I think they could have done a little bit more of it. Um, what I found is that Greg Weber and, uh, I think it's Josh Josh Keogh. Um, They had a good um, melding of the minds, if you will, from what I saw, from what they showed us. Um, But the board looked like a piece of shit, by the way. (laughs) So wait, I see, because I read the best comment on Stab. Yeah. Said, should have paired Greg Weber with Greg Weber. I mean, so it, when you say melding of the minds, do you mean Greg melded his mind over Josh Kia's? Because I feel like Josh uh, is looked like a super sweet and accomplished guy, just totally did not get a word in edgewise with Weber. Well, that, I would agree, maybe not words, but you sense that Weber was open to his to what Josh wanted to do to the tail rocker and stuff like that. Like Greg was very much like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like there wasn't any, well, why don't we do it like this? Or I do it this way. And some of the stuff I saw with like Birch and John Simon, I really sensed that the John was a little bit overmatched perhaps like what they showed. It's, it seemed that Brian was like, well, I do single concaves and I put the wings in here and let's do, you know, like, and again, maybe that's me reading, too much between the tea leaves there but um you know i just i sensed that um i got the exact opposite impression oh I, okay please i lay, felt like lay into it. i felt like john simon's um influence was seen in that board and absolutely that was a much more fluid dynamic between the two of them mm. whereas greg weber's i mean mick fanning pulled that board out of the bag and he goes this is a greg weber he knew exactly whose board it was so there was almost presumably no uh, notable Josh Keogh influence in that board. And I mean, if you just go by number of words said on the screen, I feel like Greg said 90% of them and Josh said 10% of them. So I don't know where Josh would have, uh, you know, influenced Greg. I just sense that I'm not saying like the amount of video time on screen, there's no doubt that Greg Weber's, you know, should have his own show, <laughs> frankly. But I just sensed that he was open to what Josh was suggesting. That, okay, we're um, going to start with this thing that's obviously one of Kelly's boards, but we're going to 
take out tail rocker. We're going to keep it wider in the tail. And these were things that Josh was bringing to the table. Well, I don't want it to sound like I'm uh, like, I don't like Greg because I actually do. And I love Greg. In fact, and he's super entertaining. He's a great because. Yeah. And because of those things, I'm going to call a spade a spade and I don't think he would mind it. Um, His arrogance and his downright wrongness is an amazing contrast (laughs) because he's like, he literally is like, you know, Kelly, I get make boards for Kelly and Kelly is like the greatest surfboard. He's the greatest uh, surfer in the world. And so I just tell him, yeah, I'm the greatest shaper in the world. And that's why you like my boards so much. You've done turns on my boards that nobody's ever done. And so, yeah, we're going to make Mick the best board he's ever had. Mick rides the board once and is like, this thing's a piece of dog shit, basically. <laughs> and it's like, they didn't put Greg's words next to Mick's words. There was a spacing of um, five minutes, but the contrast was still stark, you know? And, and the funny thing is, is like, I think Greg would laugh at that too. You know, it's not like Greg's indignant and is like, Mick doesn't know what he's doing or anything like that. It's just, yeah, it's just Greg. He's going to, he's going to deliver the line until everybody believes it. And he's going to ignore the facts if they come in differently. I I love that guy. I think he's great. He's good. I do too. He's good for this project. And, um, but what, what also is interesting, if you watch Mick Fanning's, first session on that board the board's like hopping like he's trying to engage the board for a bottom turn and it's hopping not once but like five times in a row and what and i think what greg would say maybe off off camera perhaps maybe not is that's why i have so much tail rocker in the board and we took the tail rocker out because josh suggested we do that right and so and then also you know you got to figure the fins are the fins are at play here too. That that board didn't have the fins that they were hoping to have. We talked about, we alluded to this at the beginning of the show, but part of episode two is that um, the fins were lost in transit. So they packed the fins separately from the boards and the fin bag got lost. So they were without fins. I think, was it until the final day? No, 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 no. Ethan, the intern showed up mid trip and brought a new set of fins. So they were able to kind of try some of the boards with the proper set of fins. Um, but yeah, that was a disservice for the board for sure. Well, you know, the thing is all of these boards and all these shapers are all great. You know, like I want John Simon to make me a board. I'm going to ask him to make me a board. I'm super psyched on that guy. And, um, you may not know this, but he was runner up in best in show last year at the boardroom show alternative yeah. surf craft simon shapes <clears throat> i think it's called simon shapes yeah it is john simon <clears throat> so <clears throat> great young shaper and i'm super psyched to get a board from him i want to order something he's and doing gotta, unique cool stuff too he is and I, frankly all of these shapers like every single one i see i'm like i would love for greg waver to make me a board and right. i would love for josh Keo to make me a board and matt yeah. Biolis has made me some of the best surfboards i've ever owned and yeah. I would love for John Simon to make me a board. And um, anyway, and then who are the other guys that I, I mean, Donnie. all the guys, I, Donnie so, Brinks made me some killer boards. I know he's made you some killer boards. I would love for all of these guys. <clears throat> so that my point is, is that this series is so great because 
it features the shapers so much. It really does. That's really important. And that's what the boardroom shows have been all about is like, let's just execute, let's highlight and put a spotlight on these guys, you know? Well, it features the shapers better, strangely better than if they just did an individual profile on the shaper. Yeah. Like, like this is a real world interaction. Maybe the shaper is a little disarmed because they're not with a camera pointing in their face, talking to the camera. Instead, they're talking to another shaper. So you're really a fly on the wall in the conversation. But in addition to design insights and hearing the way their their brain works, um, you get to know their personality better in that way. And so I thought the most compelling one to me so far was Matt Biolis and Donnie Brink. And uh, it was really... I mean, uh, Donnie, so Biolis makes, they, they didn't say how many boards he makes, but he makes a lot of boards every week. Donnie makes two a week. Donnie does everything by hand. He sketches everything out by hand before he shapes it. Matt does everything on design software and has the boards cut on a machine, you know, and, and has the ability to hand shape, but just does so much volume that he doesn't hand shape probably very much anymore. Matt's personality is very gruff. Donnie is so sensitive, you know? And so it's the perfect contrast of styles. They're both in San Clemente. They both have crossed paths over the years at the boardroom show, I know. Um, And so they probably have respect for one another, but would never live their life or do the things the way the other one does them. And so to see them come together, it was a fascinating dynamic. And what was happening was, Matt Biolis was razzing Donnie and he's like making fun of his accent from the moment Donnie walks in, Matt makes fun of his accent. Totally, totally wrongly, by the way, Matt was trying to do an an Australian or a uh, South African accent. And it was like a pirate. It wasn't even Australian. (laughs) It wasn't even, it was just like, or it wasn't a pirate. It was a leprechaun. He was just like, Hey, Donnie break. Hey, you know? And I'm like, what is that? And Donnie doesn't get offended. Doesn't even acknowledge it lets it roll off his back. And so what you saw happening was Matt trying to razz him ends up looking like a bully in the piece. He ends up, it's very unbecoming of Matt, actually. It wouldn't necessarily have been if Donnie tried to defend himself or tried to razz him back, but Donnie is sincerely sweet, sincerely kind. And when you're watching the bully continue to try to bully the guy who's just being kind and sweet, it's an unbecoming look. And what ends up happening is Donnie ends up probably then through that sweetness, um, ingratiating himself to Matt. I think Matt started feeling bad kind of at a point. And so Donnie's influence in the board design probably had a greater degree of influence than it would have had they kind of come in butting heads. So his approach, I think, worked in terms of making Matt charmed by him, but also in terms of uh, adding influence into the board design. Well, I'll tell you this, that, that board, um, in my opinion, is the best looking board of the whole bunch so far. They need to make that. They need to make that as a model. And you can tell that, I mean, Mick surfing is just so good on that board. And And we've never seen Mick ride anything like it. It fits the Maldives too. I mean, it, it just, it was a perfect design for, so anyway, I'm a big fan of that board. You know I am I mean? too. Well, and so the crazy thing is 
we've never seen Mick ride anything like that. Like we've seen him ride twin fins and a little bit shorter boards, but nothing five, three, nothing asymmetrical. And it was remindful of Josh Kerr getting off tour and then riding those albums. And it unlocks a dimension of his surfing. That's what I felt like this did for Mick. Yeah. It, it, it's a cool looking board. It kind of reminds me of something you might see Mason how riding who, 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 you know, Matt makes boards for Mason. Um, and I wouldn't surprise me, and maybe he said this in the piece, I forget, but it wouldn't surprise me if the base for that board was one of Mason's designs. And then Donnie came in and did his Donnie Brink magic with the fins and everything and, and uh, all that stuff. Well, the most endearing part um, that drove kind of the final point home for Donnie and his sincereness and sweetness was he sent along with the board a fanning pack for Mick Fanning, which was a gift, little gift bag in yeah. a fanny, in a fanny pack, but called it a fanning pack with handmade fins, uh, a mixtape, literal Donnie put together music on a mixtape, onto a cassette tape, and provided the Walkman. <laughs> a cassette tape and a Walkman. And provided the Walkman so that Mick Fanning, because it's an experience like, hey, this yeah. board comes with these fins. It comes with this vibe. It comes with this cassette tape. I love Here's, that. I know with handwritten stuff, you know, just like, hey, Mick Fanning, this is part of the Donnie Brink experience. That is and, epic. And and even Matt Biolis was like, shoot, now I really feel like a dick, you know, like this guy is so good. And he said, like, Donnie, you should be. He's um, a marketing genius. That is well, such he, genius. I'm I'm he, watching he, the the scene right now i mean the the surfing and the yeah. board looks so freaking good it does i honestly think through lost's um production capabilities and marketing power they need to make this as a model partnered with donnie because everybody watching this is going to want one of these boards afterwards yeah i already want one this is the board i want it has a cool name too. They already named it, and I forget what the name is. But um, oh, we're blown. It was. It was a. Name. I know it was a perfect name for this. So, anyways, I'm super psyched on this series. By the way, Mick is great. Mick, absolutely, is a phenom. Still a phenomenal surfer. That I watch him, and I'm like, shoot, I got to really tighten up my game. I got to like do this. I got to do that. And then he's a great communicator as well. So um, I think he's a perfect fit for this. So next week is um, the final week and the shaper pairings for the final episode are Hayden and Schroff, Peter Schroff and Matt Parker from album and Joe Falcone out of New York, who has been shaping some of Jonah Hill's surfboards among, among others. What? Jonah Hill surfboards. Jonah Hill rides Falcons. Oh my God. It sounds like an episode of The Sopranos. This is a, this is the world that, this is the professional surfing in 2022. Well, I will say this that behind what might be perceived as some bullying by Matt, Matt's, you know, if you get behind the, the veneer he's a pretty sweet guy too in his own right yeah i'm not i'm not uh giving matt a hard time at all i'm just saying no, that's the I'm, way the episode played out it's perfect it's I, like the, the the editors at scab are just loving that you know like that's yeah. 
that's it, it's so funny like who you team up with who you pair together is so crucial to this yeah cool well hey i'm looking forward to next week yeah look we've got another episode of electric acid surfboard test coming up i'm also looking forward to them doing are they doing part three of how surfers are paid I thought they were. I have not seen anything from that, though. Anyway, Stab continues to put out killer shit that's fun you know, and enter- you, entertaining and engaging. And You know who else does? Um, we're talking about this hurricane surf in Southern California and the warm water. Go to Need Essentials USA right now. NeedEssentialsUSA.com. Full suit, 2.2 millimeter. So the thin full suit, 170, 172 bucks. If you want it without the arms, so short sleeve, two mil suit, 152. Uh, I love the two mil suit. And uh, you know, the, the two also mil the one- suit is so great for this time of year. It As is. we get into October and November, September, October, November, those months, the water's usually 62. The air's usually warm. You know, we got Santa Ana's. Even if it gets to 60 when it's 80 degrees out, a two, a two millimeter full two suit long sleeve is perfect. It really is. So at these prices, you can get one of kind of, you know, uh, each, like get the jacket. I think the two mil jacket's 64 bucks, no big deal. The uh, short sleeve 152, the full two two is 172. So when you go to neatessentialsusa.com, along the top, there's a banner that says summer gear is in stock and shipping. Boom, click that and it'll take you to all of these two, two options. And a couple of them are discounted right now. So get on that while supplies last. You know, a couple of things real quick. Um, the Supergirl Pro is happening in Oceanside this weekend. And believe it or not, I, I've, <laughs> this is random. But I kind of want to go up there and watch Caitlin Simmer surf. That'd be epic. So good. And um, in addition, Stab had a pretty good story about how Kelly can maybe qualify for the Olympics. How insane would that be for, for NBC Sports, for Olympic coverage, for surfing in general, for the WSL, for everybody? There's like everybody wins if Kelly Slater's on the USA Olympic surf team. That'd be and, incredible. And, and it's uh, at, at Chopes. That's what I mean. Like that's yeah. where you, you know, he, you could all, you know, you could actually, you wouldn't even have to rationalize. You'd be like, yeah, he's one of the best guys. Well, you know, like it's a no brainer. So that would be pretty fun um, to see. I hope that happens. I hope that comes to fruition, but there's a good article on how, how if the USA surf team wins this week at Huntington beach, the ISA world games, they are allotted three spots on the Olympic team in 2024, two of which would be CT, the top two Americans, CT surfers. The third can be chosen by the by the um, USA Olympic surfing. Like you, you can, they can just pick whoever they want. They could pick you or me or Kelly or whoever. You know what I mean? Boom, you're on the team, the third spot. So Kelly could be sitting in his couch this weekend, hoping for the USA to win this weekend the World Championships at Huntington Beach, and that would basically give him a spot on the team. So by that that country that, the country that wins gets a third surfer. Exactly. Yeah. Now the problem is Brazil is going to have an insane team. Uh, obviously, Australia is going to have an insane team. Frankly, Japan might have a really good team. So, so we're Felipe, up against it. Because, we're up against is, it because the USA team is Griffin, Kaloe, and um, Nat Young. So those three have to beat 
Felipe, Pupo, I don't know if Gabe's, you know, who, Idolo at three foot Huntington Beach break. Right. But Felipe ultimately is going to qualify for the Olympics and it's going to be at in Tahiti at Chopes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Felipe is going to be back at Chopes. Oh my God. Continuing the storyline. It's all going to come to a head. We'll be Wonderful. here talking about it when that happens. We already are. We're already talking about two years from now, 2024. Okay, well, look, uh, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks is coming up October 8th and 9th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to boardroomshow.com, save a little bit of money on the box office price. We've got this really cool uh, surfing vehicles display where we have cars from a car that represents each generation, basically. And, um, of course, live music, the shape off honoring Timmy Patterson, which includes Insane Shapers. Uh, a bunch of other really cool, fun stuff. Uh, looks like a big wave uh, discussion with, um, with, I think, Peter Mel, Jojo Roper, Gary Linden, maybe Jamie Mitchell. Uh, we're working that out right now. Uh, but there'll be a bunch of pro surfers there and legendary shapers, and you can come and hang and talk and, and meet and network. October 8th and 9th, Delamar Fairgrounds, the Boardroom Show, uh, boardroomshow.com. Epic. Yeah, man. All right, well, look. All right, Scott. Until next time, David. Adios and aloha.